0: the whole home show with Tony Joe on Cfax 1070
1: hi there thanks for joining us you're listening to the whole home show and I'm Tony Joe our show is brought to you in part every week by Denise Webster mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services modern mortgage group Carrie Augustini insurance manager for Island savings and Carrie Smith home inspector from Inspect Tech. if you need an opinion from experts in insurance mortgages or building inspection Denise Carrie and Carrie are great people to talk with You can find their contact information by visiting the CFAX 1070 website. Look under Shows. There you'll find us, the whole home show with me, Tony Joe. And their contact information is all there. Or you can always find me online or on social media. I'd be happy to connect you. My background as your host of this show and for this hour is as a locally born Victorian, I've been selling real estate here for over 27 years. I've overseen thousands of transactions. I've seen almost every situation you can imagine. So if you need a seasoned professional for your real estate needs, contact me. I'd be happy to chat with you. Most people know what real estate agents do. We help consumers buy or sell their homes or secure investment properties, but many agents, including myself, spend a lot of time in the community leveraging our contacts and local knowledge to help organizations of all sorts achieve their goals through fundraising and awareness. So yes, we do use our superpowers for good, not just evil, as some of you may think. Today on our show is retired realtor and local philanthropist Eric Charman. He'll be sharing with us stories on local real estate in the 1950s and onwards and telling us about Victoria of yesteryear. But we'll start our show with our usual Weekly listener question. If you have a question or curiosity about real estate, call us. The hotline number is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. We have a question this week regarding bridge financing. So I met with a client this week. They live in a very nice home. They've been there for a long time, have a lot of equity there. They're thinking of downsizing, so they'd like to purchase a condo nearby. And they went to the bank hoping to secure bridge financing so that they could purchase the other property and have found that it's not quite as easy as maybe they thought it would have been. So the person to answer this question is none other than one of our show sponsors, Denise Webster, our our mortgage expert from Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group. Denise, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having
1: me, Tony. Okay, so uh, you heard the story there. So uh, again, we have we have, and this is this is not a unique situation. This is where a lot of people are at right now. They own their homes, they have no debt, they've got lots of equity, but they want to move on another property. Uh, they also know that um, they also know that they are going to need some degree of financing in order to uh, secure the other property. So, wh- wh- how does this work?
2: Well, first of all and most importantly, one of the things that is a big misconception is that by being able to just show your bank that you've got this equity in your home, that bridge financing would be approved. Mm-hmm. So the, the key to this is that the lender, the bank, has to see that you actually have an unconditional sale on that property.
1: Okay, so in the case of these folks, they don't even have their property on the market yet.
2: Exactly. So they're looking to, sh- to use all that equity... For the buyout yes. for the new property, yeah. So in order to do that, they um, are most likely going to be in a position maybe to put the sale of the property in their offer on the new condo. Is that what you are looking at? Oh, as okay, well? so
1: yeah, that's one option is to make it subject to the sale of their home. That's the that's the low risk option, right? Right. Yeah, of course. The difficulty there is that somebody else can come by and snatch the condo from beneath them because the that's seller still has the opportunity to look at other offers, right?
2: So this is where um, it's a difficult one to explain to borrowers, but they have to understand from where the bank is coming from or the mortgage lender is that they are not in the business of short-term lending. Uh So if they can see that you have a lot of equity in the home that you want to sell and you're purchasing another property that you may be able to purchase outright because of the the equity that you have when you sell your home. Uh they can see that that's not a long-term mortgage for them. It's because easy. you're only no.
1: using them for that point in time that you need that bridge finance, but after it's done, you use right. the money from the house to pay out the, and uh, you pay
2: out the mortgage.
1: And then you don't have any more further relationship with them at the bank, right?
2: Right. And they want a relationship. They want to long-term invest with you. So, And in most cases, it's usually a five-year term in your mortgage, correct? Yeah. So, so this is where we have to introduce our private lenders for short-term lending. Okay. So this would be something that might upset borrowers, not thinking they would be in this position, mm-hmm. but they have to realize that it is a convenience of a private lender lending short-term funds because you may sell your house in a month, maybe two months. That's still considered short-term lending. Yes. So the one thing is uh, that I would prepare my borrowers for is that the private lending is does come with a fee? There mm-hmm. could be a 1 to 2% fee on the funds that you're borrowing uh, and you're going to be paying in a higher rate, maybe as high as 10 to 12%. But Wh- which is, sa-
1: which sounds like a lot but short term. Yeah, but really what you're paying for is the convenience of of the short term relationship, right?
2: Absolutely. And it's an interest only payment. You're just paying to to Really? You're bridging that the equity in your home over to the purchase for a couple of months. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So um, in a traditional bridge, let's just say you do have an unconditional sale in your property. Um, You basically are borrowing the down payment you need for your new property from the sale of your home. Mm -hmm. So the lender says, let's see what your unconditional sale agreement looks like and what the sale price is. And then let's look at how much you actually owe if you do have a mortgage on it. Or if it's free and clear, they can see there's the equity available for the down payment you need on the new property. Mm -hmm.
1: So, and, so, really what it is, is the uh, the to have an unconditional sale on your house, that is a low lower risk situation for the lender, for the bank, because they know that uh, there's a sale in place, there's a, dep- a deposit in place, the seller knows how much money they have, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, and it's just, they, they can see it's a firm, the conditions have been removed, so this is now a binding contract. They know for all intents p- and purposes, this sale is going through. hmm so I think one thing I'd love to bring to our borrowers' attentions out there is that bridge financing is not a scary thing. It's really not that expensive for what I would call a very nice convenience mm-hmm. because the idea of moving and selling in one day is a big undertaking for a lot of people. Oh,
1: yeah. So you're talking about having uh, paying for that bridge financing and then ha- taking your time, maybe having a two-week overlap between properties exactly. that you can take yeah. your time moving and things like that, right?
2: Uh, so that means yeah you're moving into your new home before you have to be out of the house that you've just sold so i've put together a, a little example just and i think it's um, pretty simple to follow and in, in a standard bridge let's just say you need 200,000 of your sale proceeds to be used towards the down payment of the new property so you are going to mm-hmm. quote quote borrow 200,000 out of your sale proceeds and bridge that mm-hmm. so in a typical let's just say a 30 day uh, yeah. So now you've got a month to move. On a $200,000 bridge, if you were looking, um, and, and rates can compare. Again, you're doing interest only on the money you're borrowing. Yep. And rates can range from uh, the going prime rate plus 2% to as high as prime rate plus 5%. Okay. So in those two scenarios, um, we're looking at about just under $1,500 for 30 days to borrow 200000 Yeah. Uh, on the lower rate uh, you would be looking at about just under a thousand but then they do a fee so they're pretty comparable they're they're the, you know yeah. don't be too shy about the interest rate make sure there's not other fees in the bridge so then get the math done on that yeah okay and so then,
1: i mean that's not so fifteen hundred dollars for the for the ability to have both properties for a month take your time maybe you want to do some painting maybe you want to replace carpet or something like that um, that sounds pretty reasonable to me
2: you just nailed it. That was exactly my point because maybe you just need to do a little bit and you don't want to live through those updates you're going to do to the home in the first 30 days. Yeah. So a 30 days, uh, it's maybe half your rent or whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that it is a very, very nice convenience. Bridge financing can be a lovely thing. Yeah, fantastic. and And in another scenario of a shorter bridge of seven days, maybe just one week. Yeah. Um, that's under well under $500, uh, oh. you, you know, three to two, 200 to $300 is the bridge.
1: Well, we, we do have to remind people too, there's going to be a little bit more legal fees, right?
2: A little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because your lawyer is going to be doing two transactions mm-hmm. and you want the lawyer you want your lawyer to handle both your purchase and your sale. You don't ever want to have that in two different entities because that can be very confusing for the lenders as well. Yeah. They want the same lawyer handling your sale and purchase.
1: Wow, so much great information. Denise, thanks again as always. People need to reach you. How can they do that?
2: Please call me directly at 250-889-4743 or send me an email at Denise. At DeniseWebster.com.
1: Or look up the CFAX 1070 website under yes. the Whole Home Show with Tony Joe because you are prominently displayed there. Thanks for coming on the line, Denise.
2: Thanks for calling, Tony.
1: Great. And when we come back, we'll be chatting about Victoria in the old days with local philanthropist and longtime real estate agent, Eric Charman. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, and thanks for coming back. I'm Tony Joe, and this is The Whole Home Show. With us today in our studio is our guest Eric Charman. Eric is a local legend, longtime, now retired real estate agent, also a local philanthropist. His background is quite significant. I just need to read out a few of uh, uh, Eric's accolades. He has a honorary doctorate of laws from the University of Victoria, which he received in 1998. The Queen's Jubilee Medal in 2003. In 2008, he received the Governor General's Performing Arts Award. He also holds the 2004 Generosity of Spirit Award from the Association of Fundraising Professionals and the 1993 Edmund G. Bovie Award for Leadership Support of the Arts from the Business of Arts. He's a member of the Order of British Columbia, the Order of Canada. He is a Knight of the Order of St. John of Jerusalem. And this year, in 2018, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Greater Victoria Chamber of Commerce. Uh, it's a very long list, Eric. That's just a abbreviated version. Uh, and thank you very much for coming uh, on our show here.
0: Well, I, I think the Lifetime Achievement Award was given to me because they probably thought my demise was fairly imminent, <laughs> having been in and out of hospital so much in the last three years.
1: Yes, well, you're, it's good to have you here, Eric, and uh, glad to know you're doing well. So l- let's start uh, from the beginning here. You arrived in Canada here in, it was 1953, right? Came in 1953,
0: and um, I looked for a guarantor in England because I wanted to get out of England because I was an unadopted uh, bastard. And I can honestly say I'm a legitimate bastard. <laughs> okay. And I just felt life's not gonna get me very far because in those days, well, that's why everybody who's sort of be, sort of regarded as unfavorable is treated, called a bastard because they always thought it was something criminal. As you know, it was illegal, you may not know, it was actually a criminal offence. For a woman to have a kid out of wedlock. In those When I was born in 1932,
1: Uh it's a bit of a joke when you think of today. It's a reversal. Oh how things have changed! Yes. What? um, So why Victoria? I mean, there there are so many other places that. uh, Because. um, That you could have gone.
0: I met a lady in a country club where I was learning how to drink, and um, I said, "Does anybody know anybody in Canada?" And she said, said, "Yes, I've got a." Son and daughter live on Vancouver Island. I'll arrange for them to be your guarantor. Well, they had a poultry farm, and I decided after three months I was not going to succeed in Canada by shoveling, I guess, ornith- ornithological excrement. <laughs> okay. And um, so I came down to Victoria from Duncan, yeah. and I met somebody at a cocktail party, and he said... You sound um, as though you're from the old country. In those days, they didn't recognize anybody in Victoria and Oak Bay unless they came from England. Yes. They'd never heard of people coming from anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And he said, I've had a lot of people from England in my offices across Canada. And I said, well, if they're such good workers, you should try me. So that was my first job. And my only job before I worked for myself, yeah. uh, he was the manager of a mortgage company. Yeah, And in those days, there were no mortgage companies lending on Vancouver Island except the Canada Permanent.
1: Yeah, and now I spoke with you about this maybe about 10 years ago. And you had told me that in those days, Victoria was considered like an outpost and and big banks just would not lend. That, that's correct, right?
0: Yeah, he wouldn't and um the I then started um I left that company after 18 months joined a guy named jay donald smith and we started a company where we brokeraged lending private funds in fact I ran an ad saying do you have your life savings hidden under your mattress if so phone me because we can put the savings to work and earn you some money and I never lost a nickel for in five years that I dealt in private mortgaging. Never lost one nickel for any investor.
1: Mm-hmm. So you started on the financial, uh, the financial side of things, and then at some point you got into real estate.
0: Well, what happened? The real estate board phoned me one day, and asked would I meet with some of their members to discuss financing. Well, it didn't take me long to realize that the whole key to selling real estate was in the financing uh-huh. and not the selling. Yeah. So I decided to apply for a real estate license. And for the first 10 years, I did both the selling and the mortgaging
1: yes. combined. Yeah. It were very different times then than now, of course. Well,
0: they were so different that I drove by a house the other day. I think it was on McNeil Street. It has just sold for 670000 I sold that house for $16,750 mm-hmm. in 1958, I think it was. Which was
1: probably a lot of money back then. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh how times have changed. We're here with uh, Eric Charman talking about real estate in Victoria, uh, and times were different. So when, at that point in time, in the 50s, this is the 50s we're talking about when you got into real estate, right? Yep. Um, w- was it hard? Like, was it, was, it a, was it a difficult market to be selling real estate in?
0: Well, one had a call celebrate celebrate if you sold two houses in a month, I can assure you. Okay. The real estate board was quite small. I think it had a total of about hundred and ten members, which included the brokers. It was rather it was an interesting business when I decided to enter it, because it was run and controlled by the establishment mm-hmm. and most of them were still using their war titles because we were just following the war. The war titles, yeah. And uh, yeah. you either dealt with a colonel or an admiral or a brigadier. Yeah. And um, the salesmen were not allowed membership in the boards. So later on in life, when I became active in organized real estate, one of the, one of the first things I ever did was um, move to have salesmen admitted on a paris style membership with the agents in the board. Once I put that through, I had phone calls from Toronto, Hamilton, Quebec. Because this saying, upset the establishment. You're giving right? the business away. What the hell are you doing? Yes. And I said, we're putting
1: it in the hands of those who are responsible producing the results. Yeah, so it's important for our listeners to, to understand here. It, it was a different time because there, there, there was a hierarchy. There was the, the brokers and then there were the salespeople and as you just mentioned here they they were two very separate two very separate groups and very separate. and you were instrumental in bringing them together which is basically the model that we have now
0: well look at it today it's salesmen are usually the president of Canadian Real Estate Association or BC mm-hmm. or the real
1: estate board Yes. It's entirely changed. And they couldn't be before. So you are a past president of Victoria. I am as well. You're also a past president of BCRAA. You're a past president of Korea. So you went to the Canadian uh, um, level as well. Too. I
0: wonder if I, did a, I didn't do a satisfactory job because the real estate board asked me back twice. So okay. I was president three times. Yes. The um, BC Real Estate Association asked me back and I was the first one to be invited to do a second term there, and the Canadian Real Estate Association, in its hundred years, I am the only person who's ever asked back
1: to do a second year. I did not know that, but I'm not surprised. Well, you learn something every day. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Eric, my goodness, you've seen so many changes, not the least of which is values. I mean, you mentioned before about how uh, property prices have changed. Um, we're going to take a break in a few moments. We're going to talk about marketing because that's one of the things that you're very well known for here in Victoria is your unique, uh, marketing. But can you remember the first house that you sold? How much was it?
0: The first house I sold was on cook street near Packington
1: Fairfield. And
0: it was $10,500. Wow. And I, I think I was the first realtor who used to advertise more about what I'd sold than what I had for sale. This is I. I wanted to
1: demonstrate there was activity. If you came to my office, my goodness. Well, we're here having a one-on-one conversation with local philanthropist uh, and legendary real estate agent Eric Charman. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about marketing and how things used to be done. Back in just a moment.
0: Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070.
1: Hi there. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you every week in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services, Modern Mortgage Group, Carrie Augustini, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, home inspector from Inspect Tech. If you're thinking about refinancing, you need a mortgage, call Denise. If you would like a review of your home insurance to make sure that your coverage is sufficient, call Carrie Augustini. And if you need a building inspection, even if you're just not even thinking of buying or selling, if you're just in your home, want to make sure that it's ready for the winter or ready for other uh, seasons, get in touch with Carrie Smith from Aspectac. All three of our sponsors are great people to chat with. They are happy to discuss any of your real estate needs, as am I. So we're having a conversation today with a local now-retired realtor, Eric Charman. Eric is uh, very active in the community. Uh, He has done so much in town, not the least of which is fundraising for things like the Hospital Foundation, the United Way, BC Hospital for Sick Children, uh, Eric and I uh, served together on the hospice board um, for a while. You're still very active there uh, as well. And you're also very active in the arts. So you've been active in the uh, Victoria Art Gallery, the Symphony Conservatory of Music, Kaleidoscope Children's Theater, and the Pacific Opera, among many others. So Eric, again, thank you very much for coming today. Well, thank you for inviting me, sir. That's a pretty busy list. It uh, It's a reminder about the fact that Real estate isn't everything. I mean, obviously, real estate was good for you as a career, but it enriched, it enabled you to do these things that you do in the community today.
0: Well, when I started in business in Victoria, first, as I mentioned, I was in the banking mortgage business. Um, I was very active in the Junior Chamber of Commerce. They were a very strong force in this town, used to have a dinner meeting every week. With 150 members in attendance, yeah. the Victoria JCs. The JCs. And that's where yeah. I learned to get involved with community affairs. But I felt, being an orphan from Great Britain, that I'd been adopted by this community because of all the um, enthusiasm and encouragement I received from the other young guys in business.
1: Yeah. So things are a little different now. Uh, you know, of course, the the, the makeup of Victoria, uh, the Lower Mainland in particular, has changed a lot. So we have a lot of non-Canadians, you know, non bcers who have come here. Um, I mean, the, everyone, everyone has a story, and, you know, you have your story. People have ended up here in Victoria, and um, really the makeup of Victoria has changed over all these years, right? Well, it's changed considerably.
0: And I'm horrified, quite horrified, I'll be frank with you, to think that the current government is going to penalize fellow Canadians who happen to own a house, say, in Manitoba or Ontario, New Brunswick, because they happen to have a second residence in B.C. I think that's disgusting and disgraceful. I can give you an example. And and
1: having a secondary residence is nothing new. I mean, you would have dealt with these 60 years ago, right?
0: Yes, but I can always remember one of my marketing techniques. I probably was one of the first realtors who decided he'd run an ad in eastern Canada. Okay. And I can remember the ad because I said, Come to Victoria, it's on an island, so there is no crime because a criminal will have difficulty escaping. (laughs) Well, look at it today, (laughs) how things have changed. Yeah, And I also used to run ads in the winter... Are you shivering in your igloo? If if you are, come to Victoria. You don't need an igloo, and you don't need to bother about the cold winters. Well, that is still true today. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, in in many ways, you were you were uh, you participated and brought people from the east. Because I say all the time, almost everyone that we talk to here in Greater Victoria has come from another place. Exactly. They often come from the east or to escape the snow or whatever, and they end up here, right?
0: Well, Victoria has changed, of course, too, Mm -hmm. because I can remember when I first did business in Victoria, somebody asked me once would I describe Victoria to them, what went on here, and I said, well, it's really just a large cemetery with a business section in one corner. (laughs) Well, when you think of all the businesses here now, it used to be logging, fishing, and shipbuilding. There's hardly any logging now commercial fishing is really nothing to what it was yeah. and there's well shipbuildings recovering in Victoria yeah. and that was a good industry but um, there's lots to bring people to Victoria in fact the I think the um, high-tech and all that sort of stuff is starting to develop here
1: it's true they have a sizable tech we have a sizable tech community Uh, Of course, we are a lifestyle uh, community where people come here for weather, tourism, it's always been government, military, uh, but there are so many other factors here.
0: Well, it used to worry me that it was the capital city, and I tried to urge the Chamber of Commerce in those days to encourage um, various places to have their consular offices in Victoria, but that never worked. Instead of that, the government, unchallenged, started moving all their offices into Vancouver yes and i think that was a shame because an important part of the capital city economy should have been the uh, the continuation and expansion of the bc government here
1: yes yeah very 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 interesting the so so back then the the market was different right now victoria tends to hover around the um, third place as far as expensive real estate in Canada after Vancouver and Toronto. Was it always that way? What was it like when, when you started up?
0: Well, I never really compared with other cities because actually nobody seemed to have trouble if they were retiring from the prairies or from Ontario. And if they did decide to live in Victoria, they didn't have a problem today. Like I was talking to a prominent lawyer in Winnipeg the other day, he was thinking of retiring. He came here to look around and he said, Eric, I can't afford to retire to Victoria. The kind of house I'm used to would cost me over 2000000 million. I'm not in that bracket. Yeah. Yet he's a senior partner of a law firm in Winnipeg.
1: But it works both ways, though, too, right? Because anyone who is thinking of getting into the real estate market... Sure, it's difficult here because property is very expensive. There are other opportunities elsewhere that people could go to as well. You could go to Winnipeg and get a lot of house for the money, but then, of course, you'd be in Winnipeg,
0: right? Who the hell wants to go to Winnipeg? <laughs> that's all that's, that's right.
1: Well, I, I feel so bad. I use Winnipeg as an example all the time on my show here. I've been to Winnipeg. It's a nice town. I have friends that live there. But the reality is people choose to come to Victoria. They don't necessarily choose to go to other places in the country.
0: Exactly. I think, Tony, one of my joys of marketing was after I'd been invited into one of the big mansions in Oak Bay, I thought, my goodness. In those days, people were fairly snobby, and a lot of people didn't get a chance to see some of these houses. So the first chance I got, I received to list one, I think I started real strength in open houses. Mm-hmm and I would serve tea and crumpets, and I had two ladies dressed in pinafores and things. But I also kept a bottle somewhere hidden in the house <laughs> if I saw a real prospect for okay. the house, <laughs> and it seemed to work. Yeah. And, in fact, I sold so many of those McClure and Rattenbury mansions, yeah. that I even sold one to a prominent architect named DeCastry. Oh, my goodness. Who had so many kids and decided he couldn't afford to build one of his own houses. Yeah. To house, I think, it was seven kids. Yeah. So I sold him a mansion in Oak Bay.
1: Very prominent name here in Victoria, John DeCastry, right? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> so you also created a character, I seem to recall, in your marketing.
0: I had all sorts of imaginary um, characters. I'm trying to think of
1: the name. uh, Major something, uh, Major Cuthbert. uh, No, I do
0: remember, though, I once advertised a house on um, Rockland. I was invited to list it. I took the listing. I couldn't get enthusiastic about writing an ad. I finally decided I'd have an 11 o'clock in the morning Uh, open house with sandwiches at lunchtime, and I advertised it as saying I thought, I thought that it had been designed by a well-known Scottish architect named so-and-so. Somebody came to the door half an hour before we were due to open for the crowd that had now assembled on Rockland Avenue, and she said actually, um," and she had the ad in her hand, and she looked at his name, she said, I happened to be his niece. There was no such person. Oh, (laughs) I had invented the name.
1: We're here having a conversation with Eric Charman talking about Victoria. Uh, You know, when you think about it, it wasn't even that long ago because we're talking in the 50s or 60s. It's not a long, long time, but oh, how things have changed. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be having more of a conversation about Victoria in the older days. Back in a moment.
0: This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070.
1: Hi there, thanks for coming back. This is The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Been having a conversation today with Eric Charman. Eric is a longtime fixture here in Greater Victoria. He was the principal of Charmin Pacific Realty uh, back on Broughton Street for many years until retirement. Uh, Eric, I think you retired about the time that I got into real estate. So it was like 1991. It may have been the time you were born, Tony. Not quite. It was 24 years ago when I retired. 24 now. So 1994. Okay. So I I was in uh, just a few years before that. But I, I remember your office. Uh, it was a very different time in real estate and we've been talking about this. In fact, uh, one of my favorite ads that I saw, I wish I had it with me here right now, uh, you had described a house as one of the finest examples of deferred maintenance.
0: That was an interesting one because it was a mansion in Oak Bay and I told the owners, the executives of the estate, I said, you know, you mustn't, worry about the way I advertise this, because somehow we've got to get people into it. Well, I said, come one, come all. I took a half-page ad in the paper, and I said, come and see the finest example of deferred maintenance in the uh, (laughs) municipality of Oak Bay. I had a commissioner on both sides of the mansion. They clicked, 1,200 people went through, and I ended up with four offers in 24 hours. That sort of thing never
1: happened in those days with properties. Yeah. Marketing. That was yep. marketing, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, you, you know, of course, there's a lot of ways to uh, do career marketing today, but you had some. Well, then I had my dog you... used to
0: appear in yes. the ads. And I said, he's uh, not licensed, but he does um, help me to sniff out decent listings. Yeah. You were you had fun. You had fun in this business. If you've got to work, you've got to enjoy it.
1: Yes. Yep. And speaking of work, I mean obviously you were you were hugely successful in, in Victoria for the longest time. You were you were the top agent here in Greater Victoria.
0: Well, not only that, I knocked off sales with houses and with commercials, yeah. because there were no commercial companies here, yeah. such as Collier's and all these people in those days. You did everything. But so I now use these companies to handle my own
1: affairs. And for our younger listeners here, this is remarkable, because this is at a time where there were no cell phones. There were no, there was no email. There were no fax machines uh, back then. Um, everything was done with a landline and just hard work, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So you have a successful career in real estate. And sometimes, as as professionals, whether it's a realtor or a lawyer or accountant or whatever, you get to this point in time where you say, "All right, well, business is good and established, but what's next?" And and when we look at people like you, you've been so involved in the community in so many ways. And I mentioned it earlier: the arts, in the hospitals, in raising funds, and all this. What what got you to that point?
0: Well, the arts. I can remember very well. Um, as an orphan in England, I wanted to learn to play the piano. I had three lessons, and Miss Baker, my teacher, said, unless you bring me money for the next three lessons, um, you have no more piano lessons. <laughs> and she almost shut the lid on my fingers of a Beckstein. I shall never forget that. Okay. And um, so what happened, as soon as I had an opportunity, the first opportunity was when I sold a commercial building on Fort Street very early in my real estate career. I mean, it was a sale that was noteworthy. Mm-hmm. I sold a building on Fort Street for a $100,000. a
1: ton of money back then.
0: And um, the owner said, now I'm not going to do any more business with you unless you support my wife in her efforts. I said, what, what is that? He said, um, she is chairman of the women's committee for the symphony. So whatever it was, I went to have tea with her. And I decided I would support the symphony. And forever, I've been supporting the symphony for two reasons. One, to make sure we keep a good symphony going. But secondly, by donations coming in, it helps to keep the seat prices at a level which enables more people to participate in the audiences. Yeah. And um, same with the art gallery and the opera.
1: So So this is for, I've never talked to, with you about this. So this is, this was your, your the foray, your beginning into the, all of the charity work that you've done.
0: Well, another thing that really spurred me on was in 1955, a friend of mine had just opened up as a doctor practice as a doctor in Campbell River. He invited me up to fish. Well, i'd never salmon fished when i got there he said eric you can't fish today i said why he said well i'm a member of the rotary club and um, we're having an auction and the auctioneers decided not to fly over from vancouver and i said well alan i've never done an auction I, i know nothing about an auction he said, "Well, nobody knows you, so get on with it." <laughs> okay. It was so successful, the Rotary clubs were telling all the other Rotary clubs, yeah. "That's why I've done over 550 auctions since 1955 for various causes."
1: It's true. You are the you are the auctioneer to note. Of course, I last saw you at the Lieutenant Governor's uh, ball uh, yeah. a few weeks back. Yeah. Uh, doing that. So again, that's that was the genesis of of one of your trademark skills, right? And I
0: keep saying I'm doing no more. Auctions. Auctions, And yet I received a letter two days ago in spite of the mail strike yeah. from the SPCA saying that I did the auction three weeks ago for them. It was the highest amount of money they've ever raised in their history yeah. in Victoria.
1: I have said over the years, I mean, I, I, I've looked at people like you as models, as role models, as to how we in the real estate business can be more... Can be more in the community. It's not just about buying, helping people buy or sell real estate. It's what we do in the community, using our connections, leveraging the people that we know and the knowledge that we have. And I think the real estate profession is like perfectly is perfectly positioned for this kind of community work.
0: Oh, very much so, and um, it's a joy putting back into the community. Yes. Um, I think that Victoria is very lucky because there's such a strong community feeling here, and the charity work is amazing. But getting back to a point I raised earlier about people having second residences here, I've just been involved in a campaign in this town for one of the many groups where we had to raise two and a half million in a fair hurry. We were allowing 15 months to raise it, We never even went public with the campaign. It was completed in four months. And we've checked, I think... You raised $2.5 million in four months. 70% of those donations are from people who have a second residence in Victoria. Are we going to knock these people out of existence in our community, strength.
1: All right. Well, this is important. We, you, and I had talked about this before as well, too. And and so, so basically, what it is is a lot of the supporters of the arts here in Victoria are people that don't reside here full time. There's people who come here on occasion. They have their occasional uh, residence here, uh, and they are the ones that are writing the checks to the arts. And this is a really big question. If if we are not welcoming them in our community here by allowing them to own these properties without being tax exorbitant amounts, they will probably leave. And what does this do to our arts here? And,
0: well, all I know is that they're calling it a speculation tax. What is speculation involved in a man from Ontario having, say, a penthouse in Victoria yeah. so that he can live here on the cold days, which are half the year for an Ontario yeah. residence? Um these are the people we're going to scare away, and what I'd like to know is what is the net result of this tax system the government have brought in? Mm-hmm. I think it's crazy, and they should rethink the issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's been a very contentious issue. We, we had on our show uh, uh, Andrew Weaver from the B.C. Green Party a few weeks back, and um, Andrew Wilkinson from the Liberal Party uh, as well to talk about this. Um, I, I don't know. What what do you think is the solution, Eric? I mean, what needs to happen here in our community for everyone to be happy?
0: Well, the government shouldn't penalize fellow Canadians from other provinces because they decide they want a second residence in Victoria. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. And Weaver told a group of us, he confirmed that he was going to vote against that part. He now says he voted for it because it was amended. Mm -hmm. It was amended by a half percent reduction in the prohibitive tax.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, people are struggling to get into Victoria real estate right now. Was that true back in the 50s or in the 60s? It was never affordable here, right? Well, no, it was
0: affordable. No, I would say it was affordable here. Okay. I, I never encountered that problem. In fact, we gave away the houses.
1: (laughs) But, you know, in markets like 1981, 82, we were talking with Ken Henderson and Bev Hyten a couple of weeks back about a bad market where you can't give houses away, right? And that happens on occasion, and that may happen again here at some point in time.
0: I had the great, pleasurable experience of being elected president of the Canadian Real Estate Association in 1980. And in 1981... Interest rates started at 16% on mortgages. CMHC had 34,000 units on hand because people couldn't afford to pay for them across Canada. I went to CMHC and it took me two years of lobbying to convince them they should use the real estate industry to sell their unwanted units. Mm -hmm. And they felt they couldn't afford to pay the commissions. I finally convinced them that the com- commission was the best investment they could make. And we proved that yeah. because they were able to sell the, the um, foreclosed units.
1: Well, and that is even true today, Eric, because whenever CMHC has, has properties to sell, they always involve the real estate community because they know that the real estate they professional learned, is lesson. instrumental.
0: They learned their lesson.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Oh, how things have changed. Um, what's your favorite thing about Victoria, Eric?
0: I think, well, I my favorite thing about Victoria, apart from the all-year-round weather, is the attitude of the citizens in it. I mean, when I look around and look at the charities w- in which I'm involved, it's and I check with people in other cities in Canada, uh, Victoria is a very generous, participating community. And I've served on other things... As you probably know, I was a a dollar-a-year man on the National Capital Commission, a a dollar-a-year man on the National Arts Center. Incidentally, Tony, that reminds me, those seven years, eight years I did, I don't think I ever collected my dollar a year. So I better go back to the government and seek it. (laughs) Yes.
1: Um, So, but the the community here in Victoria is is something Yeah.
0: It's an amazing community, and it's because people are willing to give back and reinvest in this community from which they're deriving their success
1: and the enjoyment of life. How important. Thank you so much for coming, Eric. And as I said starting off here, real estate is a rewarding career, but you have demonstrated that there is so much more than just helping people buy and sell real estate. Being involved heavily in the community is something that uh, has fulfilled you Uh, I have watched you since I began in real estate. Uh, I have very much, I've tried to do the same thing, and I know I have many years ahead as well too. Uh, And uh, getting example from people like yourself has has really uh, driven and motivated me as well. So, thank you. Tony,
0: I'll finish by telling you I was so happy. I was in one of the big grocery stores the other day and a man touched me on the shoulder as I was checking out of the cash register. He said, excuse me, are you Eric Charman? I said, yes. I don't know why he recognized me in my old age. He said, you know what? I went by your slogan. If you want your property sold, charm should be told. And he said, you sold my house uh, in Fairfield. Oh my Isn't that goodness. funny? And it
1: still sticks around. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. And to the rest of our listeners, we'll be back for you this time next week.